Fucking piece of lousy shit. And now for the feathers. Wow. Only we're not going to run you out of town. We're going to kill you. Kill, kill, kill. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Questions and answers. Do you believe in God? I am God. You are God. You are God. <laughs> is there no wrong? There is right and there is wrong. I have never been wrong, Mr. Goldstein. Do you expect to get new followers with this publicity? I certainly hope so, Mr. Kazan. <laughs> I didn't invite you here to jerk off, you know. Get this all down. Don't miss one single word. Suppose we decide not to print this story, Mr. Vine. What then? Oh, Mr. Vader. See that? Does that answer your question? I have your address. And I know you have a wife and child. Is that correct? Yes. Well, if nothing is printed, we might be in the mood for a barbecue. Get what I mean? A human barbecue. It's like you've heard this song before, Pat. Oh, I have. It's like fucking Groundhog's Day to me, baby. But it's not. It's uh, John Cena Day, a.k.a. WrestleMania Day. I mean, they don't call it that, but I just did. And... That means also, because we're talking to each other, that it is another episode of Midnight Flicks. So welcome, all of you that can keep coming back to hear our sonorous voices. So this, I'm, I'm, I'm going way off the script, as you can hear. This is Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to real, uh, discussing real. Yes, I can't. This is what this is, this is what happens when I go off script. The, you can't. We're in the fucking jungle now. We're in the weeds now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am your host, Adam Walker, and joining me as always is Pat Mitchell. And yes, today is uh, day two of WrestleMania, so we're having some WrestleMania laughs. We were having then- some wrestling talk off the off the mic as we're, then- as we're recording this. It is... Uh, WrestleMania Sunday and uh, hence wrestling on the brain. Yeah. And then uh, our connection got pulled and I think it was because uh, Vince McMahon probably overheard us talking about proprietary WrestleMania. Very very true. He, I think he technically has the words like in Twitter, you can like mute certain (laughs) words from showing up in your feed. I think he technically has the words Saudi blood money, like, as like a filter that he can automatically shut down any any talks of Saudi blood money in relation to wrestling. So maybe those three words pinged something at headquarters and uh, Stanford fucking shut us down. Or let's see. Let me see if this works. Brett Michaels. 
Oh gosh. Brett anything? Brett Michael's heart. <laughs> Brett Michael's heart. The Heart Foundation. Any of this? Can you hear us? Nothing. Crickets. All right. So we're all right. Then, okay. Thank right? fuck. <laughs> Let me think of another thing. What would be you another thing that would Brett set off Vince McMahon? Brett. Brett screwed Brett. Yes. yes. Brett Michaels, Brett Hart. Yes. I love that porno. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would actually probably be pretty hot. I mean, you think about it. Second only to uh, fucking and killing a chicken mid coitus. Right. And there you are with a. <laughs> With that that legendary transitional ability that you have, it's like second nature. So yes, that brings us to talk about the movie that is on deck today, and we're going to be talking about Pink Flamingos, John Waters' uh, trash magnum opus. His 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 opening shot fired. In terms of uh, wider distribution, I suppose. I was going to say uh, seminal, but I think in relation to this, it should be seminal. Seminal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about today. And uh, I would like to also say that, you know, I'm real proud of us for this this season so far, Pat, because I feel like this is definitely the most diverse programming thus far. We're really, uh, really on stretching it out. To include as, like, as many things as possible uh, as a way of maybe getting new viewers. Who knows? New yeah. listeners. Who, viewers, we're, listeners, I don't know. who fucking knows? We're, yeah, we're stretching it out like a like a singing asshole. Yes, we are. We are on the verge of prolapse, my friend. <laughs> Unfortunately. So maybe we need to we need dial to it back in and just do dial it back. Gremlins to the new batch next week. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so Pink Flamingos, this is a pretty legendary film, just kind of across the board. It's it's uh, in many ways considered the quintessential cult movie, and it's one of those cult movies as well that manages, I think, to pretty much disgust and disturb just about any demographic that encounters it, even the most hardened cult movie horror weirdo fanatic um even myself who i love john waters i love this movie this was my movie to discuss this time that i watched again it's still it brings a tear to my eye when i see certain scenes and i'm revolted still and it's uh, it really is it's crazy it's phenomenal how it uh the legs that this movie has uh, for being from 1972 and its ability to still repulse and and shock uh, after all we've been exposed to and after all the desensitization <laughs> that we've gone through, uh, literal war crimes being perpetuated on CNN and beheadings and shit. <laughs> we still, this is still... Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's it's shocking how how vo- how vulgar and vile it still is after all these years. Yeah, fifty years later, um, unbelievable. There are wow. f- there are f- few movies that can really go toe to toe with it in terms of its yeah its repugnance. So, anyways, um, that being said, 
I mean, we've already kind of expressed some of our initial thoughts, but personally, Pat, I want to hear from you. What are some of your initial thoughts were, or what was experiences you've had with this movie in the past? Um, any remarkable, notable ones was the first time you saw it, AK, you know, any of this, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I will say that this is, this is the John Waters movie I've seen the most, uh, just through like whatever circumstances I've just seen this one a million times. And I gotta say, I was a, kind of dreading it when I went to go, when I went to see it this last for this, for the purposes of recording this, um, because it's a, it's a movie you really got to be in a certain mood for. <laughs> uh, yeah. but I was, I, I have to thank you pleasantly surprised. I don't know what clicked in this umpteenth viewing of seeing it. Uh, but it, it, there was something transcendent upon watching it this time. And I, I think it's akin to showing it to my wife who has never seen any John Waters movie before and watching it with her was like, uh, made it something about the, the, this last viewing was more special. And I asked her before we started watching, I was like, what do you, what do you expect this to be? Or what do you, what do you (laughs) think you're walking into? She genuinely had absolutely no idea. She thought it was going to be like some like kitschy slapstick, like comedy, and I was like, "Oh boy, you're you're in you're in for it." But we watch Drag Race together, and we go to drag shows together. We're, we 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 like, like to think of ourselves as supporters of the of the drag community. So you know, she knows who Divine is, and I was telling her this is like the the movie that launched Divine's career, uh, especially her partnership with with John Waters. And there was something about watching this, especially with her being a first timer that really made me giddy. I guess it's like, you know, the repulsing, the repulsive shit is coming up. So instead of watching it, I'm watching her watch it and watch her yeah. get squirmy and grossed out is, was delightful. So I, I really had a good time this, this last time. It was the most fun I've had watching it and I've seen it a million times. Well, fantastic. I'm glad that viewing this movie, uh, in certain ways has strengthened your body strengthened your, our your marital bond. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, JW. Yeah, cool. Um, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it this time. Um, you know, and I know we've had certain discussions uh, on other episodes about how maybe your uh, palette for lower budget movies is not how should i put it i don't think you have oh i my tolerance i have a lower tolerance for for sitting through that kind of stuff sure yeah yeah i know that that you like things like that but i am i'm a dumpster for it i'm like a trash trash man can (laughs) trash man can (laughs) i'm a can trash can man trash man can and i'll just i will gobble it up the the shittier the better and that's like of old school, you know, obviously old school, 70s, 60s, 80s, 50, all the way back. Any of that trashy, pulpy, you know, stuff, you know, the more the merrier. Once it gets into more recent territory, then I'm like, I don't have any interest in it, which I think is kind of the flip side. I feel like you are able to ingest more newer, shitty stuff than I am. So yeah, it's we're like basically this. on uh, we are a yin and yang of trash. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. But I love Which like shame. big budget trash. Like I love uh, big budget failings. Like they threw $200 million at a project and it's a fucking abject disaster. Like those are, that's the kind of trash I like, but yeah, really low budget, uh, like bad acting gritty uh, slogs are kind of harder for me to to get through but th- this is the michael jordan of that <laughs> it really is so, <laughs> you're almost like impressed by the the singular performance of it all than you are like uh I, a side note i always when I, whenever i watch this i always think of the time i went to see john waters speak at the madam walker theater here in indianapolis I remember that and I wasn't able to make it and I was really sad. Fuck, it was why. incredible. Um, and I sat, I went by myself, completely by myself. That's how willing I was to go. And I sat literally between two divine impersonators. I had a divine impersonator <laughs> to my right and a fucking divine impersonator to my left. And it was the most fun I've had uh, by myself other than like, I don't know. I guess masturbating. Who I don't. I can't even think of by myself fun times uh, mm. that I've ever had. And seeing him uh, just talking, like I asked, like I asked a question about his appearance on The Simpsons and shit, which was really important to me. And mm-hmm. it was great. I, it was fucking phenomenal. So every time I revisit John Waters stuff, I always think of that night and and how it's a night that I shared, and I can't ever really express it with anybody else because no one was there to share it with me. But I fucking yeah, it was a really cool night, and I. I I appreciate him just as a filmmaker uh, more so than I do his filmography. Like, I feel like he's just more important as a, as a filmmaking uh, identity than I do really appreciate like the actual output of his filmmaking abilities. Yeah. Um, uh, John Waters to me is, so singular and so interesting and just so unique as a person in terms of just not only the movies he's made, but his trajectory into Hollywood and how he is one of those few individuals that throughout all of those things, throughout all of his his successes and his moving into different, you know, echelons of arts and culture has always retained his integrity and his his weirdness and individuality and he's one of those type of people that yeah anytime i see him or hear about him or read anything about him it just makes me giddy i just like i love this guy so much i love his aphorisms one of my favorite quotes of all time is his saying about, you know, if you go home with somebody and there's no books in their house, don't fuck them. Just to me, that's <laughs> like the most, that is the most perfect litmus test of any sort of mating that I've always retained, you know, <laughs> in my own like interactions with people. So, yeah, I, I, I think I differ a little bit in you that I genuinely do love pretty much all of his movies in the sense, but I see what you're saying, you know, that him as an individual kind of like, he kind of outshines, you know, like you don't necessarily need to see all of his movies to just like him as a person, you know, and yeah, what he has absolutely. to say. He, tran- he kind of so. transcends culture as like a actual cultural icon than he does. Uh, but he double, I mean, I, there, there's something to be said about his, his filmography, of course, as well. And I, I do enjoy, uh, 
a choice nuggets out of it. But I, I just mm. enjoy him as a personality more so, I, su- I should say, I guess. Yeah. So what I'll say to kind of wrap up the, these initial thoughts before we get into, the, you know, talking about the movie itself is my relationship to his movies and learning about them. I'm sure I, you know, I had watched or knew about some of his movies prior to this, but really the, the, the moment in, in my life when I started to really appreciate him and really get into all he did was uh, I had a relationship with a woman for a pretty brief time in terms of long-term relationships. The relationship overall, I will state on record was the worst long-term domestic sort of partnership relationship I've ever had. It was, no, that sucks. It was, it was pretty rough. You spend um, all that for, time. <laughs> That's that's the worst yeah. part. The investment of time. Yeah, but there was a, some takeaways from it that I got because you know every relationship I've been in, whether it goes good or bad, you know you invest some time with somebody, you probably take something away. You know you learn something. I, I feel like at least I have. And uh, the thing about that relationship was she loved John Waters. She loved everything about John Waters. She loved Divine, and. Really, that was a thing that we kind of were able to bond over was our mutual love for it. And she actually like got me more and more into his whole filmography. So from that point on, you know, I was I was pretty much hooked, even though I knew about John Waters and all that before. But that was really the thing that did it for me. So and, you know, since then, I've seen pretty much all of his movies. I think there's like maybe one I haven't. Um, and, you know, I like most of them. I love some of them. Uh, so. But this one, of course, this is, you know, this is the this is the supernova <laughs> of all of it. Truly. So that's, yeah, that's why that's why I wanted to talk about this one in particular. So that being said, the synopsis essentially of this movie is <laughs> if there is a synopsis, because this movie in many ways, like early John Waters, is kind of more of a collection of absurdist moments, one after the other that are kind of loosely tethered together around a plot that essentially is there's these two uh, warring families, <laughs> warring groups uh, that are trying to outvie each other for being the most disgusting, repulsive uh, people in the world. So you have the marbles and then you have divine uh, AKA Babs and her family who up to that point has laid claim to the crown of being the most filthy person in the world, the filthiest, most disgusting person. But the marbles are hell bent on, you know, dethroning Babs in this competition. So it's basically, it's a one-on-one between them where they're just trying to outdo each other, you know, until the, the, the final third act uh, where it's all finally decided with one, uh, <laughs> The uh, the the one of the most f- infamous, I would say, scenes in cinema history, culminating at the end, uh, which we'll discuss when we get to that point. Maybe the yeah the <laughs> the grossest. <sighs> I don't even know how to describe it. The, yeah, the most disgusting scene ever put to celluloid. Like it is not even really particularly close. Well, I would say to any mass marketed celluloid. You know, barring scat porn, which and that kind which of it's on the same level as so. 
<laughs> right. So, and for those of you who have never seen Pink Flamingos, that should give you kind of a hint as to what we're gonna what we're driving at. But, anyways, anything else? That's that's pretty. Would you add anything to that? No. Yeah, I think I, I think it's akin to a yeah, it's like a Hatfield and McCoy's situation, but more more so, it's also like a the most grotesque version of like a Cheech and Chong movie because it's very much so like almost like a stoner comedy movie where it's just like bits for stoner bits sake and it's just they're almost, they're trying to make themselves laugh and that right. takes priority almost over any sort of entertainment value for a viewer so it's it's a it's a very much so like almost like a stoner comedy but like uh, f- fucked up <laughs> all fucked up <laughs> Yeah, and I'm glad that you kind of mentioned that because that's something when we get into the good, bad, and the questionable up top that I think I want to talk about about this movie that I I really like. But anyway, we'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, Box office, uh, gross, any of that. Uh, Once again, this harkens back to our discussion about uh, Deadbeat at Dawn. You know, we had briefly talked about how Deadbeat at Dawn was possibly the lowest budget movie we had discussed. This one is, as far as I know, pretty much head to head. Where are they both like $10,000? $10,000. Roughly $10,000. So so nothing like definitively has beat Deadbeat at Dawn. But let's say, you know, these, these are vying for the, you know, that uh accolade yes at this point the gutter accolade <laughs> <laughs> uh in fact um what was it the one of the little tidbits i read was there was like 500 dollars dedicated to set design and half of it went to just the trailer <laughs> which is funny Babs and her family's trailer <laughs> they blew so, the budget on that <laughs> uh anyways as far as critical uh, critical reception goes, I mean, you know, there was, was tons of things said about it. I didn't actually like necessarily type anything out, but you know, there was this this made many people aghast. Essentially, this this made a big splash. It was one of those like movies too, where again, it was so controversial and so wild and infamous and somehow made it into the right channels that it you know it 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 didn't wallow obviously in cultness it just it did get catapulted into a different stratosphere and of course because of its nature it had plenty of detractors i didn't necessarily pull any particular ones out but it definitely (laughs) i would say it would be one of those films that would be you know much maligned pretty much by all sides uh, that had any sort of tried to have any sort of monopoly on morality. (laughs) But it's also like so far down in the gutter in the sewer that like, I feel like it didn't reach detractors that would want to have more, you know, serve a morality play on it. Like it would have never even reached their eyeballs. So it's weird that anyone would have sought this out that was of a critical lens that and then like saw it and then didn't get it because it's hard to it's hard to trash this movie you're almost doing the movie a favor by giving it an unfavorable review because that's the kind of shit 
that garners uh, more publicity for this kind of movie. So I'm sure John Waters was actually looking for that negative reaction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a prime example of, uh, you know, there's no such thing as as bad PR, you know. Absolutely. Negative PR is is good PR. You know, it's definitely it was he was trying to draw out the the ire of of his enemies, essentially, to, you know, maybe prove his own points that he was trying to make with whatever he was doing. So there you go. Yeah. So that being said, want to move on to talking about this movie? Absolutely. Okay, my friends, the good, the bad and the questionable. top we're going to talk about all the stuff that we liked about this movie okay so because it's fresh in my mind and you kind of made mention of it with it being a stoner movie and stuff like that a kind of uh, a thing to entertain the makers uh of the movie itself is this is one thing that i really really love about this movie is to me it's very clear that this is a very tight-knit community of the most grade a fucking weirdos (laughs) like a league of their own fucking (laughs) freaks especially at the time because this was in that that space between you know hippie hippiedom going tits up in the summer of love and punk rock you know finally kind of formulating into some sort of noticeable force so it's in this like weird transitional space where you know, being a freak of this level and being a weirdo of this level really, really meant something. And you really had to be dedicated to, you know, just being that person. It wasn't about, you know, any sort of there wasn't any larger cultural, you know, expectations that you were, I think, trying to conform to or whatever. There wasn't a, you know, um, a set of rules established or anything like that. So that's the thing with this movie is it's clearly and and this was established by the previous movies that John Waters had done because he had done mostly shorts up to that point and a couple other you know feature lengths that were all very experimental going as far back to 1964. So almost like a good 10 years he had been making movies in Baltimore and he had just collected this, you know, this dedicated core of friends this entourage of people that he would just make his movies with and that's the thing you can tell they're just all like you know they're just having a blast like making this fucked up movie and they were willing (laughs) to just go along with whatever harebrained fucking idea he had you know absolutely and that's almost identical to what i had in terms of like it's hard to it's weird to talk about like a movie like this bit in like a socio-political like lens but like it's 1972 just like you said like this the 1960s message of like peace and love has taken like a really dark turn which physically manifested in the uh manson murders in 1969 Mm -hmm. and you even have 
sprawled across graffitied across the wall in a in a tracking shot free tex watson in this fucking yeah. movie so it's culturally prevalent as like this representation of like the seedy underbelly that um americans had ignored for so long and is now rearing its head and effectively ended an entire cultural identity and so there's like a passing of the guard moment both in cinema and in music and culturally that's happening. And this is like a, a time capsule piece of that. And I, I think it's really cool. Um, there, there's definitely like a, like a really dark cultural passing of the torch. And this highlights that. And I, I think that's really fucking cool. Yeah. To me, it's like the equivalent of in musical, uh, if there's a music analogy, what was going on? Like, there's groups there's the glitter movement is rising and there's the stooges and there's all, you know, these, these proto kind of things that are happening that don't have any, you know, they're, they don't necessarily have a home and they, so they are just this magnet for the marginalized and the outsiders and things like that, you know? So, you know, the, the, the cast decides that, and people that, you know, yeah, they weren't hippies and there weren't punks yet. Like I said, so they're just, they're just, you know, without classification, fucking weirdos, just a, a vagabond weirdo class without any sort of distinction that kind of all came to together to be like, Oh, you're a fucking freak too. Let's be freaks together. Yeah. But yeah, that, that camaraderie really shows like you could tell this is like close friends just fucking around Baltimore, like whatever, like, <laughs> just like yeah. filming this avant-garde movie. And so willing to just do the most outrageous, absurd shit, especially for then, like, let alone now, like on film. Absurd. <laughs> you know? It's absurdity that is to this day will fucking tick the meter all the way to 11. Like it's like still dinging the goddamn <laughs> meter. It's, it's, it's not like, Oh, well for back then I could see why people would be all up in arms. It's like, no fuck. It's fucking weird for now. It's like, it's never going to not be the weirdest, filthiest movie ever. It just always will be. And that's, what's so great about it. And that's why to me, it's, it's a pretty timeless movie. Um, you know, there's plenty of cult weirdo movies from that time that, you know, just they're dated. But to me, this movie, it, it's not dated because it's, it's so outrageous. Um, but yeah, so going on a little bit more with the cast and talking about this being kind of a, a collection of weirdos that John Waters had kind of picked up along the way like orphans and, and shepherded <laughs> them into his cause. He is the um, Pied Piper of, of freaks. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So I'm going to, I, this is going to be kind of more chronological than in terms of what I feel is overall importance of how these people were. But <laughs> right off the top, I want to talk about Edith Massey as the egg lady because edith massey pretty much she had no cinematic career beyond john waters movies she wasn't in anything else but up to the point she died like in the i think early 80s or something like that but uh yeah she's one of those again just distinctly john waters-esque 
uh, discoveries. He met her at a bar. He's like a barmaid or something like that. She had some sort of history, as far as I know, trying to strike out as a as an actress early on, and it didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just love Edith Massey so much. She's just she's like simultaneously so repugnant, but also so sweet at the same time because she just seems almost like she's like a child. Yeah, she's like a daft. <laughs> I don't even know. Like a daft, uh, like just a daft fucking weirdo out of time. It's uh, it's bizarre. And her like inability to act adds this like (laughs) real like strange cadence to her performance. Like almost like she can't remember all her lines. So she has this cadence of like, I'm trying so hard to remember everything I'm supposed to say. And then it comes out almost in a way where... It comes full circle from being bad to being like, this is a genius performance in terms of like an all-time weirdo performance. Yeah. Edith Massey uh, almost steals the goddamn show. And we're talking about like Divine being in this too. Yeah. Right. In comparison. Yeah. And uh, John Waters actually mentioned that uh, when discussing the movie, he, he said, yeah, Edith Massey, you know, she really couldn't retain long monologue she had no retention for that at all so you know they had to figure out ways to you know coax the dialogue and monologue out of her you know and it did end up being this kind of weird you know if if there's a if there's an outsider outsider art type character within this outsider art piece she's it (laughs) you know she's she's you know the um Wesley Willis, so mm, to speak. Yeah, very, very good analogy. <laughs> John Waters cinema. <laughs> she's just this this found person that was able they were able to make into a star. So while we're in the Edith Massey um, corner here, what is your favorite? Because <laughs> this is not my favorite Edith Massey performance. Her performance in Female Trouble, I think, is like one of the most insane, like all her monologues about. And I feel like growing up in Indianapolis, uh, being like all fans of sloppy seconds. Um, yeah. I don't want to be a homosexual has her entire monologue at, at the beginning of it, but I love her performance in that. Like the queers are just better. I'd be so proud if you was a fag, like that whole her monologue <laughs> in that is so good. Like the world of heterosexuals is such a sick and boring life. Like I, it, her delivery of all of that shit in female trouble is, I feel like, her the the very top uh, performance that that she has in in any of his movies and this is really good like i love the egg shit and i think she's a freaking (laughs) weirdo in this but what's your favorite edith massey performance so yeah in female trouble she's what queen carlotta is that it i thought she was like one of the like an aunt right like uh it's funny because i was just looking all this up when i i was doing research for this but it's either Desperate Living or, or Female Trouble. Aunt Ida. Yeah, She's Aunt Ida. In, Aunt Ida. Yeah. So in Desperate Living is when she she's like Queen Carlotta yes, or yes, something yes. like that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard hard to tell. I think I like her role in Desperate Living. That's one that kind of sticks in my head the most. But uh, so, yeah, of those of those three, I would say that's the one that, that I feel the most distinct. But also it's hard for me to say because I just watched this. So this is 
a little bit more fresh in true, my memory. True, as true. As, yeah, but she's as, phenomenal. As, uh, she's in my good as well, just to double back around <laughs> for sure. Just, you know, she, you know, it's like, again, talking about how she's a child, they basically have her. She's, she is, she is a child in, in this family. She's a baby and she's in a crib. She's in a playpen. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? With just, you know, her chest just, just besmirched with egg residue <laughs> and egg crumbles. And it's, and you, you know, just watching her eat the eggs. It's, yeah, it makes you not oh, want to fucking eat eggs for quite some time. Yeah, it really grosses you out on eggs. <laughs> yeah, so, if you're a big hard-boiled egg fan, uh, I, I would stay away from her scenes. You just ruin eggs for you for forever. Um. Yeah. So Edith Massey, she she's great in this, and of course, that brings me to talking about Divine. Divine, of course, is the. Uh, really the the obviously the star the of crown this. shit it, jewel of this movie yeah <laughs> and uh and divine has so many great one-liners that have been you know obviously replicated and repeated throughout this movie and you know of of all the cast divine clearly also has the best acting chops which isn't saying much for this movie because you know that is one thing. If 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 you're gonna get, you know, when if, when we talk about the bad, maybe we can have a discussion. But if you're gonna have any major criticism, it's of course these are very clearly not actors or actresses. Now, as time went on and these people continued to be in subsequent John Waters productions, you know, their chops were honed and they were they became actually, I feel like, in a technical sense, legitimate, you know performers yeah i think but john waters grew early. with them too like i feel like he grew right, as a exactly. filmmaker and they kind of all just learned how to do this shit together so it's yeah it's a mutual benef- mutually beneficial relationship for all involved yeah for yeah for the ones that did continue and there was you know quite a few of them that i feel pretty much continued on with him through every movie the ones that didn't end up passing early on like mink stole um so um, but yeah, divine, I just like as, as a cultural icon in general, speaking of, you know, you know, we sp- spoke at, at length about John Waters up at this point, but divine also is just one of those people that just, even if you've never seen any movie that she was in, um, just knowing about her impact on the landscape of not only movies, but music and just in general, pop culture phenomenon and 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 drag as you know a phenomenon because you know at that point drag wasn't what it is now you know it's you know you talked about drag race and things like that and how you know at this point drag is pretty accepted you know even in the most red pockets of this country you know rupaul has been you know uh, a big reason for that by bringing it into more households and making it, you know, a more accepted sort of form of performance and art and things like that. But that's the thing back then, you know, it wasn't accepted in any way, shape or form. In fact, drag as a term was still a pretty unknown, uh, descriptor for what they were doing. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like without divine divine is just one of those critical, 
uh, foundational keystones in the development of a certain particular kind of performance that if they weren't there, it just wouldn't be the same. Just had such a, a wide impact on so many people in so many different ways. And still, so, yeah, to this day, just it, the tendrils just keep on expanding <laughs> outward. And and yeah, like you said, like back then, it, it was downright fucking dangerous to be mm-hmm. expressing yourself in in drag. Uh, there was no f- such thing as like pageant queens like there are now and different facets of drag. Drag was mainly like a, a real slapstick, like tongue in cheek f- expressionism of, of the female form, I guess. Um, yeah. And it was more like comedy based. Uh, so it, but, but also, yeah, <laughs> you just have, it would be a dangerous form of expression to be getting into at the time and, and hence why she's a pioneer of it. Well, and on all that aside, just her look as a drag queen is so distinct. That was the thing, you know, there was plenty, there was plenty of drag queens before her or, you know, you know, there was, there was a notable movement in certain, you know, urban areas that was kind of like simmering underground, but she just, in terms of her look was so distinct. Yeah. And she recreated that, that <laughs> insane look that, that <laughs> drag queens to this day have like that divine look, like the insanely right. exaggerated arched eyebrows and, and eye makeup and, and the fucking hairline that basically starts at the back of the head. Like it's, yeah. it's a, it, it's an insane look that she pretty much came up with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in this movie also divine has probably some of the best scenes. So like, I just wanted to talk about some of the, like one in particular is when she goes and she goes to shoplift the meat. And uh, from what I gather that she genuinely did that, she genuinely stole that meat oh my God. and was arrested for it. Oh my God. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, as far as I know, or at least at one point or another, and something in in the movie, she uh, got busted for shoplifting for the movie. Um, so, um, yeah, and uh, you kind of mentioned the references to the Manson family. There was the Tex Watson thing, but also there's the uh, I don't know if you noticed there was the picture of uh, Sadie Watkins. Yes. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, is that her name? Sorry if I'm it's Sadie, uh, drawing a Sadie Sadie G. Is that it? Yeah. Well, anyway, so there's another reference of the Manson family sitting there on the marbles uh end table there. So again, this like, you know, this you know, this kind of subtle or uh, subliminal references to the Manson family that kind of permeate throughout. I really like a lot. And you know, because at that point, you know, let's say the movie was made, you know, within like a year and a half of those incidences. Yeah. It was still pretty fresh on the minds of everybody and, and pretty explosive in terms of how I've done some reading about this, you know, over the years. And most recently I read a, actually a pretty good book about this where, you know, the Manson murders, if you want to get really, you know, kind of tinfoil hat about it, you know, essentially could be considered as like an operation, like an op that was developed to kind of, fuck leftist movements that were kind of growing more and more within the u.s and you know that kind of like runs parallel that stuff that was happening with the black panthers and things like that how they were getting infiltrated and you know things were happening to 
you know, uh, I guess, uh, delegitimize these movements. So the Manson family murders in so many ways has such like an important uh, imprint on American culture that, you know, <laughs> that's, that's why I feel like it's so interesting to have it like noticed in this movie and why it relates to the overall themes. Like you were saying about, you know, the, the seedy underbelly of, you know, American life and things like that. And how, you know, all that was considered right up to that point through the, you know, up post-war into the mid sixties was now, you know, certain to be seen more widely as being, not so great. <laughs> and I think you, you know. can pinpoint throughout history. The, man, the it, like you said, without getting tin tin foil hatty, uh, but there's you can pinpoint these these moments in history in which like uh, there there are certain movement being made, like the like the um, the Seattle riots, uh, the WTO protests in '99, and then you have like yeah. 9/11. Uh, yeah. You know, not too far after, it's like whenever these kind of sort of leftist movements or quote unquote, you know, extremist movements kind of start gaining legs and, and actually gaining, uh, you know, mass amounts of followers. And it seems to be on the precipice of some actual change. There seems to be always some historically catastrophic (laughs) event that kind of resets the goddamn uh, calendar and we're back to square one. And we just have like, fucking country songs about putting a boot in your ass and fucking kicking everybody out and all this shit. And it's like, God damn it. We were just on the precipice of possible change. Yeah. We are. Yeah. We coincidentally enough, get another 30 to 40 years of just reactionary, you know, horse shit. (laughs) Right. Right. But there's something to be said. I mean, it's not, it can't be ignored because it Mm -hmm. it is the Manson murders is an example. The nine 11 is another example. These huge, huge fucking catastrophic events to reset our our fucking lives and now we're we're stuck in the, the next cycle of it the post 911 right. cycle and of it sure you're right i feel like right now we are in that kind of that uh phase where it's starting to ramp up again of course you know and where there's this building workers leftists indigenous poc movement that's trying to you know make some sort of change so yeah who knows any minute now what's going to be i mean obviously we have the pandemic which you know that's that if anything has been like a like more of like a tinderbox to kind of accelerate things so we'll see what kind of action has done to you know you know counter it but yeah true anyways true. so that being said we're kind of getting off on a tangent here uh I want to talk a little bit more about the cast because the cast is so important. These people as individuals are so important. And I I just, so I like to talk about them a little bit more in depth, but uh, I love Mink Stoll. I love her look in this movie. Like uh, it's genuinely to me, uh, not to sound like a total weirdo or whatever, but I think it's hot. Like (laughs) I like the Marvels in general. Like I think Raymond Marvel is, I think they're a good yin and yang of, of weirdo freaking freakdom. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. David Lockery, I think. David Lockery, and, and yeah, Stoll, yeah. Both are amazing together, but I love Ming Soul's look in this. Those fucked up, like, rhinestone cat eye, giant cat eyes, and her fuchsia hair, and, like, his blue hair. And again, talking about how this is all pre-punk rock by a few years, at least, at that point, you know. 
uh, at least like three to four years when punk rock, as far as like an actual movement started to gain any sort of traction before, you know, really like, uh, and, and definitely the idea of people dying their hair in these crazy, oh, unnatural ways. Yeah, be yeah. <laughs> even the even <laughs> the straight white normie people in this are are dressed in drag. It, like it's like everybody's dressed in drag. <laughs> yeah, like Mink Stoll yeah. looks like she's in drag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's just so good in, in general because you know almost every movie she's in with uh, uh, any John Waters movie she's in, she plays a heel. She plays keeping it with the wrestling theme she plays a villain <laughs> i love it a villainess you know and she always does it to the nines she's just this shrieking like <laughs> you know like maniacal person in every movie <laughs> she's a real cruella Deville type yeah 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 so and it's funny because like while i was like watching the movie and i was kind of bouncing back and forth between doing research and i see pictures of her now being an elderly woman like basically in her 70s and you know it's funny to think about you see them now and these women uh or any of these people for that matter maybe not at this point in their lives would ever do anything to the extreme that they were doing then but it's just funny to me to kind of a b these type of personalities of wow you know it's like you know back then you were you know fully nude purple fucking hair or whatever and doing these fucked up things now you look like you a know. librarian exactly yeah it's but, funny uh, but i love her i love david lockery david lockery it's funny because he he's one of those you know kind of tragic people in this cast of characters that he was kind of cut short you know early on he was only in like a few movies and he died in the in the late 70s apparently from what is considered to be a uh drug drug overdose related death where he was high on pcp and fell into like a plate glass table or oh, something and boy bled, and bled out to death so just a real fucked up way to die dude isn't that how uh what's his name from maniac cop died uh what uh Who, the the chin or whatever or no not the, the chin, chin. The, the guy from that's in the rocky movies uh which guy He's a uh, um, not maniac cop. I'm sorry, maniac. The guy that oh, is maniac. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe, Joe Spinell. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he die yeah. by like falling through like a fucking plate glass, like or like a glass table, and then like just died from his injuries yeah. or something weird? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar death. Yeah, he just bled to death. Oh, strange. Yeah, Joe Spinell. <laughs> I'm sorry, not maniac cop. Yeah, that's a strange death. He was like in his 30s uh, uh, lockery when he died. That's that's so sad and crazy. Yeah. And but he's also one of those early figures that was even though he was cut short, he was pretty pivotal to kind of the uh, the development of that entourage. He was the one that I guess kind of really encouraged uh, Glenn Milstead, a.k.a. Divine, to get into to drag the kind glue. of developing his drag personality what's that he was the glue that held this uh shitty right. band of weirdos together yeah 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 and i love that i love these kind of like you know more obscure characters in any sort of you know kind of circle like you know be it music or film or whatever that you know they had such a dramatic impact and then they just flashed out or whatever or you know had an untimely death so um but yeah so those are some of the main ones um you know, all the characters do their own crazy little part. I actually, I actually really like what's her what's her name that plays uh, Cotton as well. She's pretty 
pretty wild. Mary Vivian um, Pierce. Thank you, Mary Vivian Pierce. Um, that being said, we'll talk a little bit more about some of these fucked up scenes that happen in this movie. Uh, the chicken sex scene, obviously, that's one give of me, the. Give me your top three most dis- like uh, in terms of like how disturbed you were. What, what's the what's the top three most disturbing shit in here? The chicken death scene is one. The chickens chicken sex death scene for sure um the jerking off and inseminating the uh enslaved uh hitchhiker the the the, the breed slave okay two so there's that's and then and a close-up mind you a close-up of the <laughs> the syringe or whatever the the turkey baster turkey thing baster going into this woman. yeah yeah so that's it and i mean I guess I got to say it, you know, obviously the dog shit eating scene. That's that's the one still that even to this day, if I watch it and I see it, I'm just I genuinely did go because she's gagging while she's doing it because it's fucking real. It's so. Yeah, I would say dog. Well, actually, honestly, the chicken, the chicken death scene is one because watching an animal (laughs) die of fucking death is is. just especially for the purposes of a fucking movie is and having them just like smash between two bodies who are like comically trying to have sex. Like that's probably one, the chicken death sex scene. I, I, the singing asshole I have to throw in there. Uh, yes. There's something about a yeah. prolapsed asshole that, that just really <laughs> is kind of hard to, hard to watch. He's just throbbing that thing up and down to the surfing bird. I can't like listen to the surfing bird anymore. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then, yeah, the dog shit eating would that'd be my top three. Yeah. Yeah. Of course we got to talk about the singing asshole scene too, as well. Um, but yeah, uh, it's funny too. When you, when you read or hear about John Waters talking about, um, these insane controversial scenes, like the chicken death sex scene and the shit eating scene is this is again, why I love John Waters is John Waters is able to have a very rational, succinct explanation as to why he did that and why it still makes sense for him to not be in any way, shape or form aggrieved or regretful that he kept that in his movies. The chicken death scene to me when like, you know, animal rights people or whatever, try to confront him about it, his argument, and this is coming from me who I've been a vegetarian for over 20 years now. And, you know, his logic to me is completely, you know, rational in the sense he, he says, Hey, I eat chicken and that's the thing. Uh, people, you know, they compartmentalize this idea about how animals die for them to get fed. They just think it just, you know, whatever, just dies a heart attack and then it shows up on your on, in the in the grocery store. But like, you know, these animals die brutal deaths to get from the farm to your plate. So if anything, what we did was we did it a service because we put it in a movie and <laughs> it's immortalized forever. And then the the cast ate it after it died. So what what do you want out of me, man? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I watched like the uh, I watched the commentary after the movie of him of him going through various cut scenes and deleted yes. sequences and all that. And he, right. he explains so the I. chicken death and and yeah. all that. And while I don't agree, still 
with I, I I appreciate the I appreciate not backing down from it and, and just standing by his by his creative choice to do it. But you know, yeah. I have no problem with that. I think if anything, it's more I enjoy it because in it he basically points out the hypocrisy again of just the day to day, you know things that people do in this country i don't want to see how it got to my plate i just want to eat it yeah i get it yeah exactly so but there's that and then also when talking about the shit he can see you know he's like whatever like divine had to eat a little dog turd and it made her into a star so (laughs) you know that i have no problem with yeah she was a willing (laughs) participant in it so yeah well and also with the chicken death scene you know barring the you know, whatever the barbarism of the chicken getting brutalized and that, like, I feel like the actor, actor and actress themselves were probably, probably in quite a bit of pain dealing with that. Oh, you see the talons just, like, like, yeah, coming out and like scratching because they're like buck naked. So, like, the talons are like f- just scratching fucking raw flesh and shit. Yeah, it sucked for everyone involved, I'm sure. Yeah. There's real blood you see that starts yeah, streaming from, from uh, and you, it's chicken blood, people blood, everything's getting mixed in. It's, it's really gross. It's really <laughs> fucking gross. It really is. Um, well, another scene that's also a gross out scene, but maybe to a lesser extent, is the the turd in the package scene. That's another uh, <laughs> real gem. gross out one. Yeah. And, you know, you can see the genuine like revulsion on some of the cast face when they open it up because that was apparently divine's turd <laughs> divine had shit had shit in the box the night before Good. and i guess from what i know didn't tell the cast so it was even better. one of those genuine reactions like oh yeah <laughs> uh yeah so let's see what else uh <laughs> there's the I really, really love the it's the, a transgender person flashing uh, Mr. Marbles there in the park because Mr. Marbles is uh, amongst his litany of uh, filthy attributes. He's also a flasher. He's a he's a park flasher. <laughs> but this is one of the times where he uh, he gets guys he gets out freaked. freaked. Yeah. Yeah, he gets out freak where he goes to go. He's jerking it in front of this woman and she just takes her tits out and just like, yeah, give it to me. And like he's still going for it and then just whips her dick out. And then he's just like, ah, and he f- freaks and <laughs> freaks the fuck out. Apparently, uh, the person that uh, the actress in that scene was a pretty famous uh, Elizabeth Coffee. Uh, yeah, proto transgender uh, individual yeah. uh, in, in, in movies and. Uh, and culture and uh that was like right before apparently they had uh gender reassignment so and she's also in female trouble yes as well so that's really great and then oh i cannot forget this scene another just batshit scene that i actually completely forgot about this one when it happened i was like oh fuck i even said out loud i was like i forgot about this was (laughs) the scene where uh babs and david go to the marbles house to out filth their house just to lay filth all over their their residences when um they get so worked up about it that uh babs ends up sucking so david's blowing dick. him yeah i get yeah it's <laughs> his saltpeter dick there <laughs> 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 and, and, and for the purposes of the movie, they keep telling us that they're a mother and son. 
too. Right. So that, that just to really drive home, drive that one home. taboo. This it's is. as That's if they thing. didn't have incest on the like checkmark list of, of right. all the f- filthy shit that they needed to do. So they had to throw that in there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It really is almost as if John Waters had, you know, a a top whatever 50 to 100 uh, categories of what things will fundamentally offend everybody, every sector of society. Oh, OK, let's go down. Let's check them all off. We got we got incest, rape, murder, got, incest, vomiting. Gluttony, yes. cannibalism, castration. Cannibalism. The, there's the cop killing and cannibalism. At the, oh, excuse Whoa. me. Um, yeah, so <laughs> and that and, and the whole birthday party scene also talking about how it's just a bunch of buds hanging out. They're clearly having a good time. There's one point where Babs gets gifted poppers, and you know, John Waters talks about how you can see the moment when she inhales the poppers and like it kicks in because she just starts like laughing like yeah. maniacally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are all I think like the real heavy hitters as far as when you get to them, you're like, oh, what the fuck? And they just kind of up the ante as it as it goes throughout the movie. So the only thing I would add would be. The soundtrack, which I don't know how he got away with. It's crazy that no one ever came after him. But sure. like the late 50s, early 60s, like rock and roll and doo-wop and the, all the pop music and all the shit. And even like little things like uh, like the how much is the doggy in the window during the shit eating scene is really fucking genius. <laughs> like just like I love little things like that. Um, so I think the soundtrack fucking rips and he just yeah, used great. all these he just had his personal record collection it said <laughs> yeah. which is crazy and just no one ever came after him for it uh <laughs> and then just this idea of this being kind of a landmark of queer cinema too because i mean, I think up to this point like the only other director that i was familiar familiar with uh, akin to john waters uh was like early Kenneth anger stuff like Scorpio right. rising, but Scorpio rising wasn't, uh, trying to be, uh, perverse or anything, but in terms of yeah. like outwardly queer directors making queer cinema, uh, you know, Scorpio rising predates this by like a decade. So, yeah. um, but th- this is on the, uh, this is on the pantheon of like, of queer cinema. Um, and it, it, I just, and as well as Todd Haynes movies, like I would say like Todd Haynes and Kenneth Anger and, and John Waters are like on my Mount Rushmore of, of queer filmmakers. And I'd to not be biased. I'd probably have to have the fourth person be a female director of some sort to, to be yeah. named at a later date. But those are the three and he's in good company. Um, and, and this truly is that important. Uh, and you forget that when you're watching it cause it's so fucking disgusting and Kenneth Anger <laughs> and Todd Haynes make more refined uh, movies, <laughs> but yes. he's in, he's in the same discussion, I would say. Yeah. That's a good point to br- uh, bring up as well. So anything else before we talk about uh, anything that we didn't maybe like as much about this movie? I'm okay with the good being really bloated because I don't, I have almost no bad. I have one bad, so we can move on to the bad. 
Well, why don't you just talk about your bad? Because I feel like, yeah, I'm the same. There's not a whole lot of bad. And, you know, if we were the trying acting to be is ob- so bad, <laughs> right? Exactly. So I'm saying if we wanted to be really objective and fucking, you know, just a snob about it. Yeah, we could talk about all that stuff. But what do you have, though, as as just someone who appreciates this movie as a bad, though, that you would like to have seen done differently? Maybe I would I would say that the just that the replay value is uh, is the lowest that I can think of. I always think of movies in terms of repeat viewings and replay value. And now that I've seen this again for the purposes of this, I have no interest and probably won't see this again for like five years. And that's okay. Like I, I have no interest of then going to revisit this anytime soon. And it's not that this isn't an instance in which I fucking hated it and just wouldn't want to go see it again. It's, it's just not one of those movies that you would just put on and have a good time with, uh, for me personally. Um, but you said you did have a good time. I had a fucking because. amazing time. <laughs> But now I have to decompress and, and could not watch this uh, again anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to now- explain. It's not it's not because I had a bad time or that it's bad or objectively like not not fun to watch. It's just that I, I it's not like cliffhanger or like big dick action movies where I could just have on in the background yeah. and just always just be di- digesting constantly. So what would you say is so what would you like to wash this down with, uh, you know, like human centipede or something? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have never had a human centipede conversation, um, but human centipede, too. It really is one of the most grotesque horror movies I've ever seen. Uh, specifically, it's way more. It's way worse than than one. But I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to digress. But yeah, yeah, I'd have a palate cleanser <laughs> with human centipede too. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I, I I agree with you mostly. Like I hadn't watched this movie in quite some time, so it's not something I feel like that. I, I feel like in general, I'm not at this point in my life. I don't repeat watch movies quite as much as I used to in the past. It was definitely a time in my life where there'd be certain movies that I was watching regularly repeat watches every week. That was a different time. Now it's not so much that I don't want to watch movies over and over that I love. It's my partner has this weird thing where if we watch a movie too close like if we rewatch it too close to what she sees as the last viewing she has some sort of umbrage she takes umbrage with it so there's all these times where there'll be a movie that i love that i want to watch and i'm about to put it in or i'm about to talk about suggested for the night and she's like didn't we just watch that and i'm i say no we watched it two years ago so even if it just (laughs) feels too close like it, yeah. proximity wise, she's like, no, I feel like we just watched this. <laughs> she's not into it, which whatever. I mean, I that's fine. That's, down. That, that's 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 yeah, exactly. That's your prerogative. I'm like, I've got plenty of movies to watch. So, yeah, we don't have we to are not this. watching Judge Dredd again tonight, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more something my wife the, would say, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's not the days of, you know, when we talked about repulsion you know, a while back where I said, yeah, there was a time where it was a dark time in my life where I would watch repulsion several times a week. Yeah, that, can't, <laughs> that can't be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. It could, it could just, it's just not healthy for the human psyche to be watching pink flamingos repeatedly. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I don't see any, 
any value in that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's really not any bads other than yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's a it's a very low-fi affair in, in every aspect. So. Anyways, uh, that being said, and equally, I don't know if this would be a slim category. What questions do you have? Because that's the thing. <laughs> you know, this is this is clearly, you know, because this is an absurdist movie, this, it's upending everything. You know, what can you question about? Yeah, real it? question. Yeah. Fucking grill, <laughs> grilling this movie for plot holes. <laughs> well, so there was one that's funny because I legitimately at, had a question. And my question was answered following the uh, John Waters kind of Q&A commentary following the the end of the movie. But I really genuinely wondered why how Divine even knew where the marbles lived. And and, uh, Waters explains the Patty Hitler character who you see trouncing around. It's easy because she's wearing like the, the Nazi armband and shit and you're like who the fuck with with her scenes getting cut out it's even more of a what the fuck is this person because she just shows up at divine's birthday party and she's in she's in the background in various scenes and you're like what who the fuck is that character like you almost just think like john waters threw a a nazi in there to just uh, you know fan the flames of more disgusting shit but patty hitler uh, there's a scene where she tips off uh divine to where the marbles live and it, it got cut. And so uh, it's funny because in the when he talks about it, he's like a question that, you know, uh, got kind of muddled, but that nobody ever asks is, is, is exactly that. So I did have that question. It was funny that he answered it. And the only other question that I have that I don't have an answer for is I don't, I just like feel like there's no accounting for where Edie goes in the second half of the movie. Like, okay, she, gets married and runs away with the egg man. Is that it? Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess that's, that's a it. fine enough conclusion, but like, I just <laughs> wondered, like she's just not talked about like divine doesn't talk about missing her mom or like them when they're talking about where, where are they moving to like Montana or some shit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't include her in on the plans. Like she just gets married to the egg man. That is that the end of Edie? Like she just is not in the end of the movie in the like last third of the movie. It's weird. Oh yeah. And they, no, they moved to, Boise. Boise. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like they didn't want to include Edie on the Boise trip or or care to know where her and the Eggman were going. I don't know. Yeah. Also, low key, uh, a really fucking great performance. Paul Swift playing the Eggman. I don't there's something about his character that's like out of time and out of sync and and just as weird as anybody else in this movie. <laughs> yeah yeah he's great um yeah i don't really have any questions either i honestly i was too immersed and just you know enjoying the absurdity of this that you know i i think my my critical any critical faculties were just i'm i didn't even have it on for the test because what's the point sure yeah <laughs> so yeah. Well, all right. Well, then that wraps up all of that. We're going to move on to our words and categories portion of the podcast. And we're going to top it off the very tippy top with quotes. And I meant to basically put down every single quote I could think of. And I, I, uh, I instantly watched this movie and did notes like after kind of a, a long slog of a week. So my my notes <laughs> are a little too uh, slender. Uh, 
I'm hoping that you will be able to pick up the slack then. <laughs> yeah, no, I have, a, I have a ton. I mean, this movie yeah, that's is good, like this is a very head. quotable movie in in many ways, shape or form. Right, right, right. right. So the, the second, I just had second only to Beavis and Butthead with like just constant quotes. Yeah, I just I had up at the top, and I I think I the reason why I just for some reason put this one down over all of them was uh minx uh minx or uh miss marbles uh yelling burn you fucker burn when they burn down the trailer and the reason why i think i just thought about that is because that sample is utilized in a marilyn manson song dogma and so i was oh, i had that on okay the yeah so anyways but please you uh regale our audience with all of the uh the quotes of this movie. I think my favorite, my favorite back and forth uh, is when the reporters are interviewing Divine. There's just really good shit there. <laughs> I love all of that. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that really is one that's like loaded. Yeah, yeah. She's just giving it. Like, I don't know yeah. if uh, I, I'd be genuinely curious as to how much of that was improv and how much of that was scripted. Um, but yeah. she's doing some good shit. Like, she's like, "Give me more questions," and she's like, it's "One of the reporters is like." Divine, are you a lesbian? Yes, I've done everything. Like, I love the, <laughs> yes, I've done everything. But also, like, the whole, uh, what's her political, like, uh, platform? Kill everyone now. Condone first degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. I, that's like, I, that should be on a fucking poster in my, hung up in my goddamn house or something. Like, that's such yeah. a good fucking quote. I love that. That's my yeah. probably my favorite quote. Yeah, and that one is I feel like is the most oft repeated uh quote from the movie that any of my friends use is especially like when they're sharing memes or screenshots or whatever uh uh clip grabs on the internet is the you know, kill everyone now. It's the most <laughs> you know? iconic uh the kill everyone now, yeah, is is uh is almost like it become a meme uh in and of itself but it's the most iconic i think yeah, if we're absolutely. talking about like more low-key ones i don't know why this one always strikes me as so fucking funny but when crackers and and cookie are interacting and he's like introducing Edie, he's like this is my grandma Edie," and cookie's like what what's the matter with her and crackers like ain't nothing <laughs> wrong with her she just loves eggs is all <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, just uh, yeah, the whole fixation on eggs and and that whole aspect of the movie to me is I, I don't know what other subtext can be gleaned from that if there is any that John Waters was trying to push. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, did you have any others? <laughs> Another really low key one that again it's the ones that like don't seem funny like a face value wise but just get me every time when uh i think he's talking to raymond marble he's like where'd you get this beautiful car at a car dealer what'd you think like it's like a real like marx brothers like <laughs> right? fucking line. like at a car dealer what'd you think that i love that <laughs> fucking line too but yeah I, and all the eggy egg stuff and uh it's just Edie's fucking monologues about <laughs> eggs and 
when the egg guy comes by, he's like, I've got brown. He, he reminds me of Bubba Gump shrimp when he's describing all the fucking shrimp. He's like, I've got brown eggs. I got white eggs. I got big eggs, little eggs. Look at all the eggs I got. Like, so he, just, he just has like that handcrafted case, basically, of eggs. You know, his, yeah. his, his varnish display egg case. We're, are, we're far removed from like the milkman, but was there a fucking egg man? Like, is this an actual thing or did, was this for the purpose? of the movie like do people deliver eggs specifically i guess if there was a milkman it would stand to reason that there is an egg man i believe there was at one point there was a an egg delivery man my god times were times were easy then well it's funny yeah because people think that the whole the convenience economy that we have now the gig convenience economy that's been delivered to us via uber and amazon and whatnot they I feel like some people think that that's a relatively new convention, but hey, you know, they had it back then too. They had the, the milkman, the eggman, you know, the swans man. Swans man's still around as far as I know. What the fuck? What a, what a thriving thing. You can't kill that career. The cockroach no. of careers. Absolutely not. Uh, so let's talk about the best scenes and the worst scenes. I think I know like what the worst scenes are for you at least. The worst scene is for you at least. And, you know, I would probably agree if there's any that, that um, there would be. But best scene, I mean, there's so many to pick. But uh, what would you say is the best scene for you? Divine's birthday party is my favorite scene. Yes. You got the singing asshole. You've got the cap- cops that are just <laughs> inexplicably killed and cannibalized. Uh, you've got... There's all sorts of good shit going on in that one. No pun intended. Yeah, I agree. That's probably my favorite, too. I would say the worst scene, too, then, is if we're going to come to any conclusion, would be maybe the chicken scene, (laughs) the chicken death scene. In terms of, like, hard to sit through, yeah, I would would say so. Yeah, for sure. Uh, All right. So that brings us to the Dahmer I Hardly Knew Her Award, which goes to the actor with the most killer performance. I don't know. Is it the obvious? Is it is it divine? Yeah, I don't think we need to overthink this one. It's just divine. Sure. Sure. For sure. Which. Yeah. Without. Yeah. Without any further discussion, I can't think of who else. I mean, obvious. I w- there is another person, but that's going to be in my next ca- uh, my next uh, nominee for the the next category, which is the Michael Rooker Award for the most evil fucker in the movie. And for me, it was uh, Mink Stoll. Um, maybe the pairing of of the two, the Marble family, Mink Stoll and and David Lockery. I would say I gave John Waters the most evil fucker in the movie okay. for okay. just having this be <laughs> in his fucking brain. Yeah, it truly is something to think about the fact that, you know, that man was able to conjure these things and just, you know, have no qualms or any. He had no um, second guesses. Well, I'm sure he did. But you know what I mean? To him, he was just able to to push through any sort of self-recriminations that he might have had about putting this out in the world he's like yeah this is what needs to be done and you know i'm willing to I gotta get this out of my head I've, I've got this 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 vision and i have to put it on put it on paper put it uh put it out there for the masses <laughs> well what's great too about john waters is um uh, an atypical aspect of i think his upbringing and the conditions he lived in was he even being an outwardly gay man at the time as far as i know had support from his family 
his dad actually invested in some of his projects. So that's really cool to have that self-assurance that, you know, that, well, you know, my family loves me and they're supportive, even if maybe they don't understand that that goes a long way. There's a quote, you know? there's a great quote. You were talking about the, the, the book quote, which is a really famous quote. My other favorite one is when he says, he talks about coming out and he says like, I never came out, uh, like insinuating like he was always gay and always like, <laughs> like everyone knew he was gay. Just he was like from the coming go. out. Well, what's that? Like, I, I, no, I've never, never came out. I've fucking always been queer and feel like everyone knew it. <laughs> I love that. A good I'm laugh. here. I'm queer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's great. Yeah. He would just, that's what I mean. There, there is a certain confidence and self-assuredness in John Waters that I feel just was instilled from day one. And yes. that makes sense. Yes. He's a, he's a real, <laughs> we need to preserve him. Uh, for as long as we can, we, we need him around. I am really, truly. And I, I have this thought and I had it when I was watching this movie is he's one of those people that when he goes, I'm, I'm going to probably be pretty bummed, you know, because there's really no replacing that guy. No, not, not on, on any level. Okay, so the next category we have is the recasting couch. Did you have any recasts for this? Because, you know, I feel like this is also, this is a similar kind of discussion that we had when we were talking about Deadbeat at Dawn, that, you know, when you have this this low-fi, low-budget sort of thing like this, where all of the, you know, the the characters that are the, the local characters, the local flavor are distinctly individual it's hard to imagine subbing someone else out that you know unless they're from some para- they're they're from a, a an equivalent sort of universe yeah there's no this is going to be just one of those rare occasions where there's no recasting couch for this nothing no one could replace any of these individuals and who cares if like john waters is uh, second cousin was supposed to be in the movie, but wasn't. And she was also yeah. a freak. Like, I, there's no like, there's no fantasy casting to be done. And you know, in terms of this unique group of individuals, it is what it is, and uh, I would have it no other way. I will say this though, um, in terms of projecting uh, into the future, sure. Uh, um, one strange recast that occurred in relationship to. John Waters movie Hairspray that I never understood. Maybe you might have some sort of insight into this is when they cast John Travolta as, you know, in the role that Divine played in Hairspray. Oh, what the fuck? No. In the, in the remake? Yeah. Do you remember all, all that? Uh, that I like the biggest, the biggest swing and a miss of all time. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? So bizarre, but also interesting in the fact, you know, when you think about the allegations or rumors that Travolta is gay. So, you know, that it has an interesting, you know, little a- artifact aspect to it in those regards. It's a ter- it's a it's a terrifying performance, like maybe top 10 most horrifying performances of all time. <laughs> she yeah. looks like Adam, when Adam Sandler does like like fat makeup like it's so or dresses in drag for like that one movie where he played the brother and the sister i can't remember the name of it but yeah it, it's a yeah. an appalling very disturbing performance 
Yeah, it's just really not in the way that that would uh, that you think. Like not like in a good John Watersy way. Like you know, like a what the fuck is this? Yeah, it's just super interesting in the sense that it's just one of those almost you know coked out exact studio person decisions akin to what we were talking about with Beavis and Butthead where, you know, yes, let's, let's cast Johnny Depp and Marlon Brando as Beavis and Butthead. Yes. Right. I see it now. It's on that level of (laughs) what the fuck isn't. Right. Okay. Well, anyways, so now we're going to get into the wiki wormhole portion of the podcast. We're going to top it off with the body count. And I mean, for this, it's what, two? Because it's the marbles. Well, so does Channing not die of his castration? Oh, yes, there is Channing. But you don't get a definitive. I, I think he's dead. I mean, I, yeah. I, had the, I had Channing, the marbles, plus all the cops. Oh, die. yeah, all the cops. But I, don't, uh, you wait, yeah. I don't know how many cops there were. So at least three plus the cops. And then also there was like five cops. Yeah. So, so five yeah. cops. We got like, like around eight. And then in a, a deleted scene, there's a they show Cookie getting assassinated. Yep. That gets cut. And you can't count mm-hmm. that because it didn't it's not in the movie. But yeah, I would I would say three plus all the cops. And the chicken. And the jam we always count the animals plus the chicken. You can't forget that our chicken friend. Our chicken friend was sacrificed and for the art True. of this movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we'll say, yeah, roughly eight, nine. Uh okay. Uh, shit. I'm going to have to pause here for a second. We'll take a TV timeout. Okay. Anyways, so we're back. Uh, so yeah, now we're going to talk about the uh, the little trivia bits uh, behind the making of this movie. And you know, of course, a movie of this nature has all kinds of wild stories. Some of some of which we've kind of peppered in throughout talking about the movie. Um, but first and foremost, I want to talk about the fact that um, you know, as we mentioned, the dog feces um, scene where Divine eats uh, the dog shit. That is real. But one thing that I thought was funny about it was uh, in true divine fashion, uh, apparently afterwards, she brushed her teeth with a toothbrush uh, from somebody she didn't like. My God, (laughs) it's just (laughs) never ends. Some low, some low key sneaky revenge there. Seeing Um, her. I know we've talked, we, we touched on this, but seeing her gag on it and then do the toothy smile and then lick her teeth. (laughs) Uh, it's a lot going on there that is just real, real degrading and and awesome. Oh no! It's so I it's so like vile. It, it's the it really it's yeah. Every time I think about it, even I'm just like Bleh. I just and we're two I, sick I have, freaks. We're not like right. But I have this weird thing about poop that I never. Okay, this is going to be kind of a, an aside that I'm going to try and keep. Short, but I want to talk because we're talking about shit eating and we're talking about poop in Welcome general. To the I want to corner. <laughs> this is our new category. Um, 
So for years, I never had any issues with seeing poop or hearing about it or whatever. I was like, yeah, you know, just like I'd seen plenty of heinous shit up to that point. In fact, sought it out. The the more fucked up, the better, you know. Um, but what happened for me was in my mid twenties, I started actively working construction jobs. I joined the carpenters union and when you do those type of jobs and I'm experiencing this now because I went back to work in the trades here in this past year, um, you have to use porta potties and you have to hmm. share these uh, filthy no, receptacles. Story. <laughs> yes. You have to share these filthy fucking receptacles with anywhere ranging up to 40, 50 to a hundred other dudes. And I mean, I mean, dudes like dirty fucking garbage people, dudes on, on a work site. And you have to, you know, you have to use these filth chambers, these, and when you stare into the depths of a porta potty that has been utilized for a week by a hundred guys, sometimes, let me tell you something that really, really does a, a number on rewiring your brain about piss and shit. I can, I can smell your story. <laughs> let, to, to illustrate this further, let me put it this way. Prior to me doing that job, me and one of my good friends who I lived with uh, a couple different times when I lived back in Fort Wayne, again, actively trying to seek out whatever disgusting, vile fucking shit we could. My bandmate at the time had a line on um, this compilation of shit porn. It was, it was a European bootleg shit porn compilation. And I was like, sure, I'll check it out because why not? You know, that's what you do, right? Duh. And me and my friend, literally for one one morning, we we're eating breakfast, just hanging out in our living room. We're like, let's check this shit porn movie out. And we were watching it just laughing hysterically while we're eating breakfast <laughs> and not even like not gagging, not even like having a second thought about how fucked up this was. Whatever. And then <laughs> fast forward a couple years and I start working on this job and I'm just like, I can't I can't handle shit. <laughs> you just reached like, your you reached your <laughs> shit limit. Maybe it's just like it gets to a certain point where it culminates and it builds up and then you just that's <laughs> it. You should reach your your shit limit. Yeah, dude. And like I'm going through that now because I'm working on a really big project and it's just like thankfully, mercifully with this project, there are there are a lot of porta potties to go around. Yes. That, so, that's what helps diffuse this situation. Because it seemingly it feels like just nobody has a normal bowel movement in a porta potty. It's just like dude. Just it's it, it's really true. It's just nobody has like I'm just like, I'm gonna flop a, a few floaters in this. It's always like explosive nope. fucking diarrhea after explosive diarrhea after like vomiting and diarrhea. <laughs> you, I'm, it's funny that you say that because it's so true. When I try to go to the bathroom, one of them, it's just like the grossest shits I ever have. They're not clean. No one uses the like, porta potties for, for good solid turds. No. Yeah. Anyways, okay, so there we go. There's our. I mean, we're talking about this gross, disgusting fucking movie, so we might as well have a gross, disgusting, fucked up conversation. Which is why I'm going to piggyback for next week and just choose Solo 120 Days of Sodomy. 
<laughs> Bring it on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Just more poop eating. We're doubling down more on the poop, poop eating. <laughs> really doubling down on the on the fecal philia. Okay. So, anyways, to get back on track. Um, the other thing I want to talk about. So I touched upon this a little bit about the the budget of this movie, and I wanted to clarify further about that. Um, when I said that um so the art department's budget was only 200 excuse me not 500 it was only 200 give them a bloated budget (laughs) and half of it went to the trailer as i said but the other half went to decorating it and and what uh uh the production designer vincent uh said was and then after that running out of uh, the money we would just steal things (laughs) (laughs) par for the course on a movie like this yeah yeah so uh uh that and yeah exactly it's very apt um so the the singing asshole guy uh apparently is not credited in the movie i didn't know this um and john water maintained that he certainly will rename nameless it's his choice but this individual does uh apparently still disclose his involvement in the film to friends oh, so nice the singing, the singing asshole is a uh he 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 did his duty, but he's like, no, nay, nay. I know I've delivered an important cultural artifact, but please, please, I do not need to take credit for this. Not only that, <laughs> but I don't know if you knew this, but he went on to father all three of the Hanson brothers. So that's fun. <laughs> Mbop my butthole. They were originally, instead of being called Hanson, they were going to be called the, <laughs> the singing assholes and tribute to their father. But that didn't they didn't think that would play. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, I want to make mention of this because it gives a nod to uh the title of our podcast and why we do this. But uh uh in the film Midnight Movies, John Waters says in part, I was high when I wrote this film, I was not high when I made it. <laughs> wow. That's a quote. And it does, yeah, that speaks to the fucking stonerdom of it, though. Right. Somewhat. Yeah, because that's the thing that I know John Waters is is very, um, you know, open about talking about his his love for being in an altered state of mind when he's, you know, making some of his scripts. So interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that checks out. Um, let's see what else. I mean, I think those are other than like other. I, I pretty much talked about a lot a lot of this uh, when we were talking about the the, the meat of the movie. Uh, oh yeah, this was a good one. <laughs> when Connie and Raymond call the police to break a Divine's birthday party, Raymond gives the police real directions, which would have easily guided real police to the site of the trailer. <laughs> wow. So no police actually showed up, as far as I know, but they actually called the police. Apparently. Oh, interesting. I wonder why they didn't show. Yeah, I don't know. Um, this is kind of a longer one, but I think it's pretty cool to talk about. Um, John Waters wrote a sequel to this film entitled Fl- Flamingos Forever. It takes place 15 years after the action of the original film, showing Babs return to Baltimore with Cotton Crackers, Miss Edie, and her new grandson, Dwayne, an eight-year-old transvestite. There it is. <laughs> so perfect. Uh, the foe in this film is Vera Veniger, Connie Marvel's sister and her husband, Wilbur, a necrophile who runs a mortuary. Uh, Troma Films was offered to finance a picture for $600,000, but it was never made because of the death of Edith, Edith Massey. 
So that's unfortunate. Um, oh, and she died and, like somewhere in the eighties, right? Yeah, and then later of divine. So basically, you know, two primary roles. Yeah, that was that, that was the actual death nail. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't so, know if you have this in your. Um, I went down a divine wormhole. She was uh, the day of her death or the night before her death. She was in a hotel in L.A. because she was set to appear on Married with Children the next day. Yes. I always mm-hmm. thought that was really fucking, really fucking cool. Like she's like an uncle, Uncle Otto or some shit, like some character. Uh, yes. Go on, finish. No, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the character. She plays like an uncle or or whatever. So I'm playing. I, I assume he's playing himself out of drag, and then, uh, yeah, obviously, obviously died before being able to do it. Yeah. So did you watch the divine documentary that came out not too long ago? No, I, I, I really, uh, I really should. I, I feel like it be right up my alley. Yeah. It's super good. So if you get a chance, watch it, but, uh, they mentioned that and there was so many parts of it where I genuinely got like, I guess I, I got, um, those kind of like goosebumps or whatever. I like got like, you know, there was a lot of stuff about it that made me feel a certain way and made me really connect with divine as a character and, and really enhance my appreciation for, for, uh, her. But when they got to that part, when they were talking about that role, I really genuinely got sad that it never happened because I love Married with Children. I grew up watching Married with Children. It was like a very formative uh, show for me. And the thought that Glenn Milstead Divine would have had a role in it, like really would have enhanced that show in a lot of ways for me. So it was like one of those sad, oh, what ifs, you know. She had a... She had the trajectory of like a Belushi or a Farley or, yep. you know, just like a, a, a star that just shined a little too bright for our universe and was yep. was uh, extinguished much too early. And we're gifted with what she left us. But the possibility of what she could have done is is left to imagination. And it's, it's truly sad. Yeah. Anyway, so there's there's one more one I wanted to talk about because I forgot about this. This is actually pretty funny to me. It was in the original script, there was to be a scene in which Connie Marvel's hair catches fire. Mink Stoll initially agreed to do the stunt. Um, the shoestring budget of the movie meant that they couldn't afford a professional stunt woman before eventually changing her mind. John Waters said on the audio commentary track that he was happy that Stoll changed her mind in retrospect because she would have ended up with third degree burns on her head and he would have ended up in jail. <laughs> I like that. He was like, all right, you consented to it. Let's light your fucking head on fire. <laughs> I know. Right. But again, it's just like this goes to the whole thing we've been talking about where these were all such tight knit. They were so close friends and they were so in in for this that they would have done anything john waters told them to pretty much and then they had to kind of walk it back and be like you know what actually yeah even i have have my line you know i'm gonna draw the line (laughs) just after eating shit everything after that is is out of out of the question yeah well i think that's about it great probably wrap it up from there cool so I guess this is when we got to assign a rating, right, buddy? Let's do it. What do you give it? 
Um, this is a really hard movie to to rate. Um, and it it kind of pisses me off when I see that it has like an eighty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes because this is the kind of like this is a movie for us, not them, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I never wanted to see like this kind of movie be like reappraised and uh, uh you know given given accolades after the fact like i think that's kind of fucking bullshit it shouldn't have 80 it should be it should have like a 13 percent on rotten tomatoes all things <laughs> all things considering but for the purposes of this um just the importance of it uh how much fucking fun i just had watching it and uh, the filmmaker from from John Waters' perspective, I'm just gonna have to give it like a four out of five. Venturing on a five out of five, just for the yeah. the, the fuck the fuck it uh, <laughs> just like to say fuck it and give it a five out of five. But I'll give it a four. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Actually, that's that perfectly summed up how I feel about it. Great. Yeah. Do we want to? <laughs> Again, come, come up with a cat, uh, well, we, our iconography. We already Let's not forget our up, iconography. Yeah. Yes, and and w- whether this uh, out of dog qualifies turns. as a midnight movie. Yes, of course, out of dog turds. Okay. four out of five dog. Four turds. out of five dog turds, and I would say that it is it is on the it's midnight, but it's so far midnight that it's actually the next day's midnight. (laughs) So it's not just, it's not like tonight at midnight. It's so fucking far midnight. It's like tomorrow at midnight. Yeah. Fully agree. And even then that doesn't even do it justice, but yeah, that's how far (laughs) on the midnight clock it is. Okay. Well, here we go. And I'm waiting with uh, much anticipation for you to tell me, Pat, what, are we watching next time? I have not come to a conclusion. Um, I'm debating between some things. Um, mm-hmm. I think we, I'm going to go back to the big budget disaster. Get well <laughs> that I, that I love to go to so often. Uh, and uh, one of the more maligned alien movies, Alien Resurrection, uh, which I fucking think is a actually a really good fucking movie that um, gets forgotten a lot of times. But uh, it, I, I absolutely fucking adore it. Um, it's got some great performances in it. Uh, and Jean-Pierre Jeannot, uh, you know. To, to know that he did this in Amelie is, is fucking nuts, but I think he knocks it out of the park. Um, and so let's, let's do alien resurrection. That's a uh, pretty wild that you mentioned this because that movie came up recently when we were watching something, a documentary, or I can't remember exactly. Um, and Charlotte, my partner was mentioning how she really liked that movie. And I was like, that's one of those movies that of the alien, you know, series. I I'm like, I can't remember if I watched it or not, but I know that it's one of those kind of shun malign movies of a, a beloved series. And I incidentally have an alien box set series. that has all those or, original run pre Prometheus movies. Um, and I was like, well, I have it, you know, so we'll have to watch sometime because I honestly cannot remember if I've seen it. So great. Wild. 
And in in yeah. terms of a midnight flicks cast, I feel like it's got a lot of midnight flicks dudes like Ron Perlman, Brad Dorif. Like there's a lot of really good performances in it from choice uh, character acting um, individuals. So I I, I think it's right up our midnight flicks alley. Uh, and I, I I had a blast what rewatching it. Uh, I watched it over quarantine sometime and I fucking loved it. And I made a mental note to want to talk about it on here. So now here we are. Super. I'm totally into it. So yeah, next time. Wonderful. The filthiest people alive. Fire, fire, burn it down. Fire, fire to the ground. Burn you fucker. dive into midnight movie madness big thanks to charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music our outro music is brought to you by the singing asshole himself with surfing bird uh thanks a lot uh mystery singing asshole man we really appreciate you contributing to our podcast if you're a band looking to submit a song or listeners looking to submit a question feel free to shoot us an email at midnight flicks Pod at gmail.com that is f-l-i-x or hit us up on instagram at midnight flicks pod or pat mitchell i am adam walker and have fun watching WrestleMania. I will. Thank you. Burn, you fucker! Burn! Could you give us some of your political beliefs? Kill everyone now. Condone first-degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. Take whatever you like. Oh, well, everybody's heard about the bird. <laughs>